thinking. Good. I was just thinking about how awesome it is that uh, you know we don't we shouldn't come to church for us. We come to church for him, but in his economy, he still just like blesses us, satisfies us, fills us, renews us, restores us, gives us everything we need. <clears throat> so he's got a good economy. Uh, yeah. Well, let me start by praying, and then we'll figure out what we're going to be here on this one. Yeah, Jesus, I just ask that you open our hearts to your scriptures and open your scriptures to our hearts, that we'd walk away from this place knowing you more, longing for you more, uh, better equipped to love you and give you what you deserve. So yeah, would you just bless us, bless this time, bless our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Cool. Okay, a couple questions. Uh, they're rhetorical. If you really want to answer, you can. What are some beautiful things or places? Just start working in your brain. What are beautiful things or places? Why are these things beautiful to us? The youth group got a little bit of a preview of this. So, uh, Why are these things beautiful to us? And what happens inside of us when we are around something beautiful? I don't really have the answers. I just know something stirs, something changes. You know, you see a beautiful landscape or a uh, beautiful piece of art or something like that. You're like, you're stirred, your affections, your emotions, something happens. Um, so speaking of art, let's read some poetry. Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, that's, this is going to be our, our launch pad, our main point of inspiration this morning, is Psalm 27, verse 4. <clears throat> David writes this. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David, among other things, being a king, being uh, a rebel, all these sorts of things, he is a poet. Uh, and we can see from reading any number of psalms that he wrote that he's, uh, he's got this poetic language down. Um, but it's not just passion, or let's not let the passion be lost. Uh, because it's got an artistic flavor, because it's written as poetry. Uh, like any good poet, King David writes to express what's actually in his heart. Uh, he's revealing his real desires, he's revealing his real emotions, his real pursuits, his real intent. Uh, he just puts it in prose. Um, so it's crazy. He says one thing. He boils all of life down to one thing. Really? Like, can we really just say, of everything that I've seen, experienced, could experience, I know the one thing that I want. It's like, could he filter it down that much? And uh, is there really any one thing worth being the one thing? Is there anything being worth your soul pursuit? And I think in a worldly sense, the answer is no. Uh, there's too much to do, too many things to see, too many people to have like good relationships with, friendships. Um, there's too many attractive things, too many advertisements in a worldly sense to be able to say, yes, there's one thing, I'm going to put everything I have into that. But we're going to open it up way wider to the unseen, uh, to the spiritual, to things beyond what's touchable and physical, but what is still knowable. Uh, and we can certainly see what David is saying, that God alone is sufficient. Uh, he is the only thing, the only one who could be our one thing and hold that weight of everybody's desire being the sole desire. Uh, just him. Our sole pursuit, our sole hunger, our sole thirst, and the sole beauty that we fix our eyes on one thing, or one thing. Uh, so when we consider, when I was considering the implications of this passage, I was asking myself, what would I say if I was making my above all else request? 
Like I want this thing above all else. Like what would it be? What would I say? What things would I have to consider and filter out? Uh, and I think truthfully, uh, at the end of the day, after sifting through everything, uh, relationships, dreams, experiences, uh, I believe that because I am walking with Jesus and his promised Holy Spirit does live in me uh, and has taken up residence in me, that I think I'd make the same request as David. Like, I think his mercy and his love and his wisdom uh, is actually the way that God would lead us to have him be our one desire um, and to have a desire to have his presence more than anything else. So actually, I was realizing while I was prepping that, in fact, I have dozens of times prayed this prayer recently, and uh, it wasn't necessarily on purpose. It was just all I could boil it down to is, oh, Jesus, I just want to know you more. I just want to know you. And I think, in part, this message prep was him being like, well, here's, <laughs> here's one of the chances. Like, spend this time with me. Dig deep. Figure out uh, what I'm like, and, and you'll, get your, you'll get your request. You'll get your answer. Um, so may that not stop in Jesus' name. Uh, so away from, we're going to keep that one thing focus, uh, but we're going to step away from Psalm 27 for a second. Uh, let's look at him who is the one thing. Uh, so I'm going to go to Revelation 4, verses 2 through 8. Uh, and if you're up for it, you can close your eyes and just let the Holy Spirit guide your imagination. That's a powerful tool. Um, and... Yeah, just let your imagination get caught up in what the Spirit is doing as I read this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne there were twenty-four elders, and seated on the thrones, or twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven burning torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, <clears throat> like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second like, a, like an ox, the third with the face like a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had, with six wings, full of eyes all around within, day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So just imagine, imagine that if that day comes when you get to be in that crowd where there's these terrifying, huge, crazy things who their sole focus is him and worshiping him and bowing down and saying, holy, 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 uh, you're, you're in that environment, but your affections are divided. Imagine the torment that would be there. It says, in verse 11, it says, Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's like, he's big. <laughs> he's very big. He's very powerful. He's very beautiful. He's very worthy. But imagine your affections are divided. So you're thinking, uh, maybe you wish you could have a little bit more honor, even though he's the one to be ultimately honored. Or you see these elders casting their crowns before the Lord, and you're like, I like the feel of gold. I like shiny things. I wish I could just have one of those. Or, uh, yeah, you're just thinking of yourself. Like, imagine the torment. You're in the presence of God, but you're still thinking, but what about these other things that are of some value to me? If, you, if we haven't 
fixed our eyes on the ultimate value. Uh, so stepping back from our imagination exercise for a second, uh, what a privilege it is to actually know him now. We don't have to wait for that day. We don't have to wonder like, oh, am I going to be refined enough or something like that? We get his presence now. We get to know him now. Uh, that's a privilege. That's an honor. That's not something he had to do for us. Um, we get to have our appetite and our hunger for him grow now instead of just waiting for someday around the bend of eternity. Uh, and we're finite and fallen at this moment, yet he still gives us this grace. Uh, a taste of eternity, a taste of his presence. Uh, so I love David's poetry and his attitude as well as that of other psalmists. So Psalm 27 talks about inquiring in his temple, talks about gazing on the beauty of the Lord, uh, talks about him being the one thing. Uh, Psalm 84, uh, I believe it's verse 10, they're not David, but they are also poets, but they say uh, basically that uh, this it's this soul truth, this like, it seems at face value like, ah, oh, maybe it's... Maybe they're exaggerating. I don't think they're really exaggerating. A thousand days anywhere else simply can't compare with even just 24 hours in the house of God, in his courts, in his presence. Uh, and the way that they say it right after that is, I could even just be a doorkeeper and I'd be happy. Even if the alternative is being comfort with like wicked things, things of the world, uh, having my own tent, I would rather just be a doorkeeper, just stand there all day and like Sean right now, just get a view. <laughs> just always looking, always looking forward. Uh, just proximity. That's all they want. That's all they're yearning for and longing for. Um, whatever gets the psalmist closest to the Lord. So before we start thinking that this is an only Old Testament concept, let's flash forward to Jesus. Uh, if you want to, you can. I'll read it, but you can go to Luke 10, verses 38 and 42. I wonder if anyone has any guesses yet. But um, Jesus has an experience with a contemporary, somebody who's like in his time, in his place, who holds the same value as these Old Testament uh, writers, the value of his presence, of his nearness, of him being the one thing. And the person is Mary, the sister of Martha. Uh, so this is Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Uh, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So before we dive too deep into that, uh, there and the implications of it, this stuck out to me for the first time ever, the way that Mary is introduced. The sister of Martha and also her behaviors, sitting on the floor before Jesus and like kind of shirking responsibilities. Uh, what if Mary was actually like, just a kid, you know, like eight to 12 years old or something? Uh, I think that actually helps me picture more clearly what this devotion can look like. Uh, just such innocence, such uh, such an honest desire just to sit there in front of somebody who you who you love. The words that they're speaking are just uh, ministering to you and you're just allowed to, you're able to sit there and nothing else really matters. The single-mindedness of a kid, nothing else can like really distract or get in the way. Um, I'm not saying this is the truth. I don't actually know. Uh, I haven't come across other texts or passages that say, well, she was certain years old, but just the way she's introduced as the sister of Martha. And like, I can hear it in Martha's voice. 
Like, could you please just tell her to help me? It's like, I've tried convincing my kid's sister a million times, but she won't. You know, like, it helps with the imagery in my mind, at least. Um, and there's, there's something, too, a little bit later uh, when Lazarus dies, the two sisters both approach Jesus as he's coming back, and they cry. They're crying and weeping and making their pleas to him. And it's Mary's plea of like, why, like, why weren't you here sooner? You could have done something. And that's the one where we get the verse that Jesus wept. Uh, and I can imagine like <laughs> a little kid coming up to me and just tears in their eyes, weeping about something that has been lost in something they're mourning. That would stir affections quite a bit, uh, maybe more than an adult um, doing the same thing. And that just, anyways. That's just an observation I made, and if it helps you uh, grasp more at what's going on here, uh, let it. If not, drop it. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, that's not the reason I brought this passage up. So, we'll get back to this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So, look at Jesus' wording. Like, it's so cool. He uses the same phrase, one thing. One thing is necessary. And this moves my heart when I think of the time invested in my relationship with Jesus too, uh, that it won't be taken away from me. Uh, this time in his presence, it cannot be stolen. Every other thing, every other relationship or activity, every investment we can make, those things will not remain. They'll be taken away. They'll be removed. They'll rust. They'll be stolen. They'll be eaten by moths. Uh, they fade. But this, with him, it can't be taken away. And I'm just going to let that sink in for a few seconds. He remains. His his presence, the impact on our souls uh, now and in eternity, it remains. It, it just can't be stolen. Um, and it's so beautiful to see a picture like this with someone who gets it, So we can, like with Mary. So we can read uh, in the Psalms, and it's poetry. It's writing about like somebody's heart desire. But then the narrative that we're reading about Mary, we actually get to see you know the way the story plays out. There's somebody who's just sitting there on the floor, just looking at, at the attractive nature of God's presence uh, and like getting a display of what hunger for him and hunger uh, on display, hunger acted out looks like. Um, sitting at Jesus' feet to hear his words and to listen to his words, uh, to know like I'm looking at the one thing. I am with the one. Uh, and it's not my one thing. It's not your one thing. He is the one thing. So compared to all the treasures uh, or other desires or experiences, this is one thing that can't be taken away from you, and that is too good not to be true. So hold on to that. Um, there's there's one more person to highlight um, who really gets this one thing thing down uh, about the beauty of God and his worth and uh, what that looks like in concept and in practice, and that's Moses. So if you'd like to flip to Exodus 33 real quick, this is one of my favorite chapters. <clears throat> Exodus 33, uh, I think I am just starting in the beginning. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and all the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Uh, so 
this little bit here is the context for the significance of what we're going to look at in just a second. Um, the Israelites are being really bad. They're grumbling. They're worshiping idols. They're whining against God. They're whining against their leaders. They revolt. It's bad. It's very bad. Uh, and as God would say, they are stiff-necked, uh, not a compliment. So Moses has been on the mountain with God. He's gotten the laws from God. He has been in God's presence pretty much like no other, except maybe Adam and Eve. Uh, and God leaves him with these words. I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. Lest I consume you. Zap. Poof. Crisped. Well done. <laughs> Erased. God has his reasons to not go among the people. Uh, they're pretty good reasons that he just laid out. And uh, yet there's a problem. Moses can't bear, bear to be without God. Uh, and to be fair, the Israelites catch on to that in the verses right after this, and they give some acts of repentance and not adorning themselves, sackcloth and ash. Um, they understand the weight of that. Um, but Moses would be among those consumed if God did in fact go, uh, but that doesn't stop him. Um, he needed God's presence. He'd, he'd spend enough time in it where he's like, there's nothing else. Even the promised land, that's not worth anything. Uh, unless I have your presence. And he just knew that the consequence of being charbroiled seemed a little less than the consequence of going without God's presence. Uh, so it looks like he had three options. Go without God, which is a no. Stay out of the promised land, which is uh, no thanks, that's not good either. Or ask God to come and potentially get consumed on the way. And he goes with option three. So he presses into this relationship that he has already shared with God, and he makes a request. Uh, and verses 12 through 15, if you're reading along, uh, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send, uh, send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and I have also found, and have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order, uh, may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So Moses has this bold discourse with his maker. And you know what is crazy? God actually makes a way for it to work out uh, without the barbecue and without staying away from his people. He tells Moses, my presence will go with you. That like what a sigh of relief, what a breath of fresh air. Uh, but Moses really shows the true signs of somebody who is craving and longing and starved for the presence of God. Because even after his Lord, his maker, Yahweh, says and assures to him, uh, I will make, my presence will go with you. One more time, Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's like, no take backs. You said it. Just reminding you, God. <clears throat> so a moment ago, it's like I said that he, Moses pressed into the relationship that he already had with God. Uh, and of course, he was up to he was up on the mountain for those forty days a couple times, uh, in the cloud and the smoke and the fire with God, um, receiving the laws and just like getting these crazy downloads, way too much information. Um, but all this time with God, like that's a lot of if you've just read through it or listened to it on audio, that's still quite a while that you're you're receiving all this information that's in Leviticus and all that stuff. Um, but we get a little bit more of where this relationship was developed in. Uh, verses 7 through 11. So I'm kind of taking us back and forth to build the case. So Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. Um, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. 
Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the <laughs> tent is written a lot of times here. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak uh, to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So if there's one thing to focus on in this whole chunk, it's face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is what Moses and the Lord had going on in their connection, in their relationship, face to face like friends. Moses really did love to meet with God. It wasn't just uh, a duty. Um, they were friends, which meant more presence, more beauty, more closeness. And that's a powerful cycle of developing each of those things. More beauty, more presence, more closeness. Uh, and isn't it crazy how bold Moses is with God in the face of that previous interaction, lest I consume you? Uh, and it's like, actually, no, it's not that crazy because they're friends. They had, they had a relationship. They had a history together. Uh, and this isn't something that just a select few Jesus people or Old Testament fathers of the faith have access to. This is what our father wants with all of us, all of his kids. Uh, there's no shortage of love for him to give. There's no shortage of presence for him to share. There's no shortage of uh, care and intimacy to be had with him. Um, but what is the key to unlock this? What's the price of admission? Uh, it's got to be selling your home, living in the wind, follow, following the instructions of the Holy Spirit that are obscure, right? No. The price of admission is friendship with God. And on our end, uh, that's that's it, because Jesus is the one who actually paid everything with his life. Uh, our our price to pay is friendship with God for his presence. Uh, like Mary, it's going before the feet of Jesus, of somebody whose words are beautiful and comforting and full of eternal life. It's seeing the man who was beautiful in and of himself before anything was even made. Uh, he's peaceful, he's patient, he's kind, he's gentle, he's loving, he's self-controlled, he's faithful even when we're faithless, he's good even when we're bad. <laughs> it's seeing that man and that's him. That's the one who is the one thing. Uh, that's the Jesus who we need to be with, yet sometimes we shy away from because of our shame. Uh, and actually, I will amend that price of admission part uh, about it just being friendship. Uh, the price of admission for friendship and presence is humility, actually. Is, that's what I'd say. Humility to trust that he is who he says he is uh, and that he knows us by name, like he said he does with Moses, and he still wants to share a friendship and a relationship and an abiding love with each of us. Knowing us fully, loving us fully. Uh, he loves us in the face of our insecurity and in the face of our fallen nature, in spite of it even. Um, and here's a little nugget for free. Verse 11 has a part two that I didn't read yet. It's about Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant to Moses. It says this, when he turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Uh, so there it is one more time. There is another person who just can't get enough of the presence of God in the secret place. Uh, and he gets to be the next leader, for better or for worse, on his part, <laughs> of the Israelites because of this relationship, this depth, this intimacy with the Lord. <clears throat> so these people that we've been reading about, talking about, they aren't fulfilling some kind of duty or obligation. Uh, they're not attending a weekly thing. Uh, that's good for the family or helps get the week started off right or anything like that. 
there's real hunger. There's real desire. Uh, they have a massive appetite that they've been working up. Um, and they've developed it uh, for more and for more and more of the presence of God. And with Moses and God, let's put one final cherry on top, their interactions. Uh, Moses says, show me your glory. And if anyone doesn't know what that little exchange is about between Moses and God, still in chapter 33, uh, this is 17 through 20, the verses 17 through 20. And the Lord said to Moses, this, this is right after he says, show me your glory. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Again, he says it again, I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name before you, the Lord, uh, otherwise translated Yahweh. And I will be gracious to you, whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. It's like, geez, that's a bold request. <laughs> it's like, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the maker of everything, the one who is exploding a mountain without it being exploded while you're up in it, uh, you request to see his glory. It's like he just didn't stop. He said, uh, if you're not going to go with us, I'm not going. And then he's like, okay, I'll go with you and I won't burn you up. And then he says, uh, okay, this is going well. One more thing. Show me your glory. <clears throat> It's like, this is my favorite part because God actually, again, honors his request, his boldness, his friendship uh, with a blend of something even better, which is glory. Uh, and that begs the question, like, what is glory? And we tend to think of a place with a magnificent, again, views, magnificent views or foods like, oh, that was glorious or someone who's shimmering or anything like that. Right. Uh, but what God says is, OK, I'll pass my goodness before you. It's like, how satisfying is that? It's not just shininess. It's not just like a demonstration of power, a, a God flex or something like that. His glory isn't something that's just for show. It's his eternal nature to be good and to enact that goodness on us, on this world, into our relationships with him. Um, and so, like, is anyone here sensing some more of that beauty and desirability of being in his presence, being in the presence of their God, of their maker, of their it's this eternal ultimate guy who wants to be your friend. Uh, it's like more and more as I pre prepared this, that desire, that hunger has been growing. Uh, and it's like the, my soul's mouth has been watering and just in excitement of like, there's more, there's just more. There's never going to be less of this. Uh, and it's never going to be the same either. It just gets better. Uh, so to jump back to Psalm 27, four, this one thing idea and gazing on the beauty um, we'll make one more jump to Revelation 5, um, and it has quite the smorgasbord of things to really whet our appetite and set our eyes on this king, on our friend. Um, so I'll just read this chunk, and then uh, I think I'll have Joe come back up. So it says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you Lord to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne uh, and then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Joe, will you come back up and play that, some of that first song again for us, just to, yeah, uh, just to take us there. <laughs> Father, I'm seeking your faith. You are all that I long for. Would you come fill this place? Father, I'm empty. Father, I'm seeking your faith. You are all that I long for. Would you come fill this place just to gaze on your beauty? It's all I desire, just to dwell in your presence. Oh, oh, oh. Your presence, Jesus, is all in pursuit just to be with you. I want to be with you. Your presence, Jesus, is all in pursuit just to be with you. I'll only be with you. 
in your honor. You are all that I need, the most beautiful thing that my heart has ever seen. You're my treasure, my prize, my heart's great delight. Oh, Jesus, you're everything. You are all that I need, the most beautiful thing that my heart has ever seen. You're my treasure, my prize, my heart's great delight. Oh, Jesus, you're Everything in your presence, Jesus is all in pursuit of just to be with you. Now I long to be with you. So you've heard your invitation into his throne room, into his presence, into the secret place with him. Uh, and that is what you're being sent into. <laughs> uh, and if that's, if you're just like longing to, to get a glimpse, to look at his beauty, and that's not a, a step you've taken, uh, the doorway is Jesus. Um, so you can come forward, chat, pray, and I just want to get you introduced to him. <laughs> I just want you to know my friend Jesus. So, yeah, Jesus, just thank you that you you do, you have been, you are revealing yourself. And would you never stop? You never intend to. Would we never stop experiencing it? Um, so send us out, draw us in, and um, show us your glory, Jesus. Amen. I think we'll just end it there. I think that was that was good. Because I was the whole time I was playing, I was like, should we do the doxology? But this is like this is a good closer. Who's gonna say it, Brian? Well, I did. That's uh, your scent. Yeah. <laughs>